Hello, everybody. I'm Dwayne Mancini, and welcome to another episode of the Project MedTech Podcast. If you need anything from us or would like to suggest a future guest, you can email us at info at projectmedtech.com. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. For more information on Project MedTech, our events we host, our consulting and advisory services, and to sign up for our monthly newsletter, visit our website, www.projectmedtech.com, and follow us on LinkedIn. If you're enjoying this content, don't forget to check out our other podcasts by searching MedTech Money on your favorite podcast platform or by heading to our website. MedTech Money is an interview-style podcast focused on demystifying raising and investing capital for MedTech companies. Don't forget to check out our two events we have coming up this year. Our Midwest Showcase, which is August 30th in Cleveland, Ohio and our Startup Symposium in Houston, Texas, October 25th and 26th. For more information on both events, check them out on our website. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Valentium. Valentium is a contract design and manufacturing firm specializing in the end-to-end development, production, and post-market support of diagnostic and therapeutic active medical devices, especially active implantables and other class three medical devices. Valentium's core competencies include electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, embedded software, software as a medical device, mobile apps, CGMP contract manufacturing, embedded cybersecurity, systems engineering, human factors and usability testing, automated test systems, and so much more. With customers all over the world, Valentium works with clients in every stage and situation, ranging from startup seeking funding to established Fortune 100 companies. Visit Valentium.com to explore your next step in medical device development. In this episode, our guest Brian Stewart and I discuss how he found non-dilutive capital, HMO Labs, what pieces of information he took from his diverse background to use in his startups, how do you take advantage of accelerators and incubators, his military background and how it prepared him to be an entrepreneur, the importance of your founding team, the importance of community and so much more so without further ado my discussion with brian stewart medical innovation starts with medical discussion talking about the future and what comes next with project medtech brian welcome to the podcast thank you great to be here yeah. So, Brian, let's start with a uh, introduction for the listeners on um, who you are and 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 what you currently do. Um, and if you want to take us back to your background uh, in the space, that'd be that'd be awesome as well. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I'm um, my name is Brian Stewart. I started my career uh, at Ohio State University and then went into the Marine Corps. Spent six and a half years as an infantry officer in in doing that. Had a great time doing that. And then transitioned out and have been in the healthcare industry, broadly speaking, for 20 plus years. I have a bit of an eclectic career, spent some time in health insurance, diagnostics, medical devices, uh, a couple of years with, in wound care, uh, behavioral health, done some consulting as a strategy consultant. Uh, so quite a different you know, career in terms of nonlinear, staying in one career, uh, one industry segment. But the highlights are, you know, pretty much been in sales, marketing, operations, strategy, communications. So primarily commercial leadership roles. Uh, also had the opportunity to lead an international team 
with one of the large medical device companies I was with. So I have a pretty broad perspective. I think the other unique thing about my career trajectory has been I've been in large Fortune 100 companies like Medtronic and Biomed in the med device space. And then I've worked with private equity owned, venture capital backed, and then even some privately held organizations. So I feel like I've got battle scars from all those environments uh, that have informed my career in a, in a nice toolbox of experiences and network along with that. Uh, more recently, I've been in the entrepreneurial space. I have a medical device startup called HDO Health. And that company is looking to commercialize and build innovative, life-saving, cost-effective medical devices. Our first product coming to market, uh, we hope by the end of the calendar year 2023, is the HDO Health Journicate, which is a specialty tourniquet device designed to help prevent people from bleeding to death from traumatic junctional wounds. Uh, so that's my focus currently, and uh, my pleasure to be here and hopefully share something of value to your listeners. Yeah, very cool. Um, it's certainly an interesting perspective. Um, so let's let's while we're while you're on the the new startup uh, HDO Health, right? Um, so is this for limbs? Uh, how's it different? Is it on the market? I guess is it is it is it a class one medical device or or I guess what does all this look like in terms of where HDO Health truly is? Sure, uh, it is a class. It will be a class two FDA five ten K cleared device. Got it. Uh, there are a number of okay. products on the market currently that serve the same space. So this particular indication for this device is traumatic wounds, more or less where the leg meets the hip. So you think uh, kind of in layman terms, the hip crease, um, you know, think uh, in combat terms, someone who stepped on a, an, you know, improvised explosive device or a motor vehicle accident or a gunshot wound, or more recently, all the folks in Syria and Turkey with you know, hurt, uh, earthquake folks, anywhere that someone had a traumatic wound that really can't be served by a traditional extremity tourniquet, this device can step in and help save a life. Uh, in addition, we're hoping to have a secondary clearance for pelvic stabilization. Um, but that's not the primary indication, but it will be a nice benefit for someone that's got, you know, some sort of crush injury or a pelvic injury, in addition to the hemorrhage would be to help stabilize that while they're being transported. Great. And and did you spin this technology out, out of somewhere or, or where did the technology come from? It's an actually it's a intellectual property that I've licensed. Actually, I, that we have licensed from the Ohio State Innovation Foundation. Uh, and for listeners who aren't familiar, that's more or less the intellectual property property commercialization organization for the Ohio State University. So I'm an alumni of Ohio State. I have uh, three other co-founders. Three of the four of us are Ohio State alumni in some form or fashion. Uh, and then our fourth co-founder is actually a career law enforcement officer with the Ohio State Highway Patrol. So we have sort of deep roots to Ohio and Ohio State. That's a long answer. Short answer is we 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 have a worldwide exclusive license for the intellectual property um, for, yeah. for the device. Very cool. Um, and have you, you know, in terms of raising money, have you raised any money so far or how has the company been funded to date? Today we've raised 455000 of non-dilutive funding, which has been awesome. Oh. Um, you know, yeah. very thankful for that. Um, primarily from the state of Ohio. We've also gotten funds from Ohio State University, as well as a shout out to Rev1 Ventures, which is the startup accelerator startup studio that we're part of that's based in Columbus, Ohio as well. Yep. So those are our three primary funders today. 
the state of Ohio, Ohio State and Rev One Ventures. Uh, we are currently in a, cool. seeking a seed round of funding, primarily to you know yep. acquire inventory, um, liability insurance, legal expenses, really just sort of standard company operations. I will say for any investors that might be listening, you know, we've been very capital efficient. I would say 99% of the funds we've received have all gone towards product development, commercialization, regulatory strategy, um, pretty much that's it. So we've been investing our dollars wisely and intend to do the same with our seed round. Yeah, very cool. Um, in terms of uh, the non-dilutive capital, um, can you walk me through like a little bit of that and, and, and how important that was for you? How'd you go about, you know, kind of going after that? I think it's, it's, it's really interesting. You know, there's a lot of companies that will have to play this licensing game for really early stage technology of, you know, when do you take it out of the university? Because you might have some grant dollars you could still use for this. And so yeah. kind of walk me through your experience with that. Cause I think that's really important for entrepreneurs that are really early stage to, to understand. I think I was fortunate when I uh, engaged with the Ohio State Innovation Foundation, uh, one of my co-founders, Tanya Nocera, who's a PhD associate professor of biomedical engineering, had already received, um, had applied for and received $150,000 of non-dilutive funding um, as part of the technology validation and startup funds that the state of Ohio provides. Um, so it already had some funding. They already had an initial prototype. They'd already done some of the IP filing, et cetera. So when I stepped in, we we applied for what's called a TVSF phase two. So I don't know if this answers your question, but you know, went through the fairly detailed and fairly prescriptive process from the state of Ohio to apply for you know another round of $150,000 of non-dilutive funding. Um, so that, I mean, that's my advice to folks listening is just the dollars are out there, but it, it's like anything in life requires work to go find them. And then you have to put in the work to apply and make yourself competitive. Uh, and I would say it is pr pretty daunting progress. I mean, the a process, the the application process, the interview, and then sort of the follow-up and the documentation required are, mm -hmm. are reasonable. So anyway, that was that. The other dollars we received were in the form of a commercialization contract grant. And that was a 50-50 split between Rev1 in the Ohio State University, uh, a little less uh, regimented process. I think that was based on our interactions with Rev1 as a portfolio company. They had a pretty good understanding of who we were as a co-founder team of our technology from all the work that we did with them and our advisor. Um, but we, you know, we submitted our plans and kind of did our pitch with them, talked about use of funds. And then, you know, I think they obviously have their own decision criteria but fortunately, we, we met those criteria and they invested another 150K with us as well. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to Rev1 too. We, you know, they've actually been on the podcast. They were probably episode, you're going to be episode like 130 some. They were episode like 14 or yeah. something like that. It was actually uh, uh, Wayne Embray and yeah, uh, one other, yeah, one other later, Mew. Uh, she's no longer there. She's actually, she'd move on to, uh, Cincinnati children's maybe, and then eventually moved on other elsewhere. But we actually had a mid, we had our, our second startup symposium at rev one, um, last year. Uh, so June of 2022. Yeah. Um, so yeah, great, great, yeah. great, uh, organization. Huge fan of rev one. And I think for your listeners, just the, 
and kind of a shout out to the state of Ohio in general. You know, I, I actually live here in Birmingham, Alabama, and I, I tell folks that I interact with here that Ohio is ahead of the curve, in my opinion, um, and kind of under the radar for a lot of folks in terms of the depth and scale and innovation that's going on, how tightly woven the innovation and startup ecosystem is between what's going on in, you know, Cleveland and Dayton and Cincinnati and Columbus and other places and their organizations like Rev One and then what Ohio State's doing. So I think it's a great example for others to follow about how to combine all those things in a in a meaningful way that's accessible, that's not um, too cumbersome with bureaucracy or what have you that entrepreneurs, you know, yeah. frustrated and give up. So shout out to the state of Ohio and Ohio State and Rev One. I think they've a great example for other states and communities to follow. Yeah, that's great. So, you, so you said you're you're down in Alabama. I'm guessing you're a Buckeye fan. Yeah. Uh, how obnoxious is that? It's hard to, to be, be a Buckeye there. fan here in Birmingham. Most people, when we first moved here, people want to ask, "Well, are you are you an Auburn or Alabama fan?" And it's like, "Well, neither. I'm a Buckeye." And that kind of ends the conversation usually pretty quick. But obviously, <laughs> being in SEC country, it's a little difficult. But I, I'm a Buckeye fan through and through. So. I wear my right. uh, Buckeye merch and swag whenever I can. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, so, so love the shout out to uh, Ohio in general and and the the awesome innovation going on here. Um, can you walk me through a little bit of like, in terms of you stepping into a role at a startup? Um, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of things from various aspects of your rich background that you've kind of taken and said, okay, I can take, you know, this piece of what I learned when, when you were in the Marine Corps, I could take this from what I learned when I was at this strategic, what are some of those little nuggets that for, for maybe an entrepreneur who's out there who hasn't had that, you know, um, diverse background of working in those different places. What are some of those little nuggets that you, you took? I mean, I know there's a lot, there's experiences, but surely you must've looked back and said, this is, you know, I'm going to take this from here, this from here and this from here and instituted in this company. So can you walk me through some of those things? Yeah, I could talk about that question a long time. I'll try to give you a quick answer. I think there are multiple multiple dimensions of that. My, I'm a big analogy person. So my analogy, it's like, you know, for any person, leader, entrepreneur, how are you building your toolbox. So I look at all those experiences and all those different kinds of companies, you know, as just tools that I've added to this, you know, toolbox that I have. Uh, and now that I'm an entrepreneur trying to build my own thing, I have this, the other analogy is almost like being a furniture maker, someone that's got all these tools to make, you know, whatever kind of furniture you might, you might want. Um, but now that I have that opportunity, it's like, well, what kind of furniture do I want to create? Um, and now I've got this rich toolbox to pull from, but if someone doesn't have 20 plus years of experience, I would say, don't let that stop you. You know, maybe your toolbox is smaller with fewer tools, but the reality is there are people just like me who've been at it maybe a little bit longer, who are more than willing to share, that want to pay it forward, that want to help someone else out. There's tons of networks like the ones we've already mentioned with Rev1, you know, all these innovation ecosystems that exist. Um, so if you really want to do it, I would say, do it. You know, you just got to take the step, um, particularly in our society and the way the economy is like, don't wait. Um, but also, I'm, I'm a big fan of not reinventing the wheel. So mm-hmm. take advantage of things like this awesome Project MedTech podcast to learn from others, you know, and gain wisdom or insights. Don't try to figure it out all on your own. I certainly uh, 
don't. And then, you know, relying on partners, like we mentioned, like Rev one, we wouldn't be where we're at without their guidance and insight and the referrals they've given us. So I think there's that. Yeah. And then the last dimension I think is, um, being able to create culture the way you want. I mean, I've worked in lots of companies and, you know, great companies like Medtronic with fabulous cultures, great missions, vision statements and all that. But it's exciting for me as an entrepreneur to say, this is what my, I want my company to look like, sound like, feel like how I want us to be represented with stakeholders, with investors, with customers. And I'm totally responsible for that and accountable for it. And, you know, at the end of the day, I've got no one to blame but myself if it's not, you know, exactly what I want, number one, or number two, doesn't resonate with any of those stakeholders. So anyway, that's exciting for me. And I think the other exciting thing as an entrepreneur is you can, and the most frightening thing is it's all on you, essentially, you know, for better or for worse, you can make it yeah. the way you want. But at the end of the day, it's all rises on falls on your commitment and your leadership and, you know, your network and your willingness to listen and learn and be humble and seek advice and counsel where you need it. Yeah. So I want to unpack a few things here along the way. Um, and when someone has this much experience, you know, this is really where most people learn is you talking about these different things. Yeah. So, so I want to cover the, you, you mentioned, we'll, we'll gladly take the project MedTech shout out. Um, <laughs> but, but, uh, the, the, uh, the one thing I like to mention about that is, you know, it's amazing. Um, just from hosting the podcast, but if you've listened to most of the episodes, the number of mistakes you pick up from other people who have already done it, and you kind of just file it away, right? Um, and you never know when you're talking to someone else about another experience where that's going to come up. And it could be something super minute. But what, what, what I've found is that a lot of startups um, where, where they make mistakes is not is not like the direction they run in, it's the assumptions they made to begin running in that direction. And that is a huge issue um, where they'll make these little assumptions and boom, take off running a thousand miles an hour. And their foundation's really shaky because those assumptions they made were wrong. Um, and so, you know, it's just it's just funny to me that these these little 15 second clips that you recall from a podcast episode of going, hey, you're making the same assumption they did and they learned the hard way. So why don't you go back and correct that now? Um, so I love that that you you, you kind of brought that up because that's the whole point of the, the podcast is to hear these things about what people did right, what people did wrong, and hopefully you can learn from some of those things. Um, the other piece that I'd love to get your thoughts on, there's a lot of great programs out there, very similar to Rev1, right? And, and a lot of them have been on the podcast. I mean, just like off the top of my head, I, I, you know, there's, we've probably had five, six, maybe seven groups on that are very similar to that all over the U S. Um, and even more specifically outside of like your main hubs of Boston, Minnesota, and San Francisco. Right. Yeah. And so I, I think the biggest thing though, is what do you get out of those and how do you ensure that you get what you need out of those programs right um so for you you have the experience of going through rev one but maybe talk to me a little bit about how you prepared to go into that and and get what you needed out of that kind of programming or that kind of resource hub like a rev one yeah i think it's a great question i also maybe before i answer i also like to say give a little more context that in addition to Rev1, I mean, I'm sort of like a, a a lifelong learner. So I've done like the Y Combinator Startup School. I've done the Kana Business 
school. Oh, yeah. I'm in the Warrior Rising Entrepreneur School. So I'm like this almost overkill of like, how do I go and learn as much as I can um, in multiple programs and then take what I think are the most applicable or best things for me where I'm at in my journey with my company and apply it. So my biggest thing is you get like anything in life, you get out of it what you put into it. Um, you know, and doing a little bit of homework up front to figure out you know, like what program is right for for you as an entrepreneur. Are you two years out of college and you majored in psychology and now you want to start a SaaS business doing, you know, okay, well, maybe you need something that's a little different than someone like me who had a lot of experience and kind of knew exactly what I wanted to do. It was more about kind of the nuts and bolts of things. Um, so I think there's some of that homework up front and good matchmaking both with the accelerator and the entrepreneur. But then what I've experienced is even the people that maybe were my, uh, they're in this cohort with me in these various programs, just as harsh as it sounds, just weren't willing to do the work. Like, you know, it's like people were laying up for free, all these resources, all these tools, all these opportunities to learn and grow. And you, I guess from my mind, you had to, you know, choose to make that a priority and bet on yourself and bet on your business by choosing to learn and grow. So I guess the takeaway for that is if you're going to do one, then be all in and do everything possible. Network, 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 build a good relationship, a good reputation with the people in the accelerator. Cause you just never know when that word of affirmation or support from a guy like Wayne Embry that you mentioned at Rev one can make all the difference, whether an angel investor or a seed investor says, Oh, well, if Wayne Embry is not for those guys, I'm all in because I know Wayne. I trust Wayne. He knows what he's doing. He's got a great, anyway, short answer is do the work. And uh, well, the yeah. corollary to that is pay it forward. Don't just do the work and say, well, I'm getting all I can. It's like offer other people things along the way. And then when you quote unquote, make it, whatever that looks like for you, pay it forward. Cause if you don't, then you're just, you know, one of a zillion billion selfish people in the world. And we don't need any more of those. So that's, <laughs> that is a hundred percent the yeah. truth. So is that some of what drove you to, to kind of get into the, the startup world? You know, in complete candor, honestly, when I got involved, I was, I had contacted the Keenan Center for Entrepreneurship at Ohio state on the advice of the guy who was my coach at the time when I was the CEO of another company. Um, shout out to Jim Wietrich, who was my coach saying, hey, man, you know, I was we were talking about boards and getting involved. And he's like, well, have you ever thought about connecting with your alma mater? You know, a lot of those big universities have these innovation ecosystems like great idea. So I hit the old Google search and found, well, lo and behold, the Keynote Center and got in touch with the folks there. And originally I was just wanting to be a mentor, like to help other entrepreneurs with the things that I have the most experience in sales, marketing, strategy, that kind of stuff. And it quickly pivoted to, well, hey, we think you have the DNA of a to be a great entrepreneur. And we've got some technologies. We think you're right up your alley. They, they gave me the whole catalog of things they were looking to license. And I would say within days, if not weeks, it made sense. I think it was kind of a quick on both sides. Like, hey, this is the right technology, the right company for you and your background, given my military experience and medical device experience. And then in some ways, that that company and the technology was already sort of cream of the crop in that, you know, one of their own faculty had gone and gotten dilute, you know, non-dilutive grant funding. They had made significant progress. They had a prototype. The IP was filed. So they were well on their way. So that's how I sort of, I don't want to say stumbled into it. I think I've always known 
I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I feel like my journey through all these different companies and organizations um, equipped me with a really fat toolbox. They're going to pay dividends for me now, or I hope they will anyway, or dividends for others. In the case of, you know, HDO Health, the device is a, is a life-saving device. So my hope is, and my firm belief is that device is going to save someone's life. And to me, like whether we make a zillion dollars or make two cents, ultimately, if my legacy is I created a company that commercialized a device that saved some police officer who'd been shot and is bleeding to death, then it's all good. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, so I'm curious for for someone like you who's uh, still very involved and um, loves the innovation side, but just loves maybe the side of med tech where yeah, you do save a lot of yeah. lives. Let's look. Let's look into the future here, right? Uh, you finish. Let's say uh, HDO Health. It, you you run your course there, right? It, whatever your exit looks yeah. like, uh, you're you're done working there. What's in store? Another startup? Are you helping a bunch of startups? Are you joining some boards? I mean, Probably all curious. the above. I mean, most people who know me are free to look at my LinkedIn. It's like I've got multiple <laughs> irons in the fire. Uh, I definitely would, you know, Lord willing, would love to stay as an entrepreneur, both creating other companies, commercializing great ideas and services. And then where my real, real passion is, is around mentoring and coaching and paying it forward, if you will. Um, I have been working on a, a trying to start a venture capital fund. And I obviously won't talk a lot about that for all the reasons why you can't talk about venture capital funds, but uh, high level, my, my goal is to establish a VC firm and fund that will support other veterans and former first responders who are looking to become entrepreneurs, um, not necessarily just in healthcare, although that's my area of expertise, but with any good idea, product or service that can do good in the world, that's who I would want to support not only with capital, but with giving them access to my toolbox, to my network. Hey, don't do these three things that I did that really caused me problems or set me back six months. That's the kind of value I want to deliver to folks is that. Um, so I think a combination of um, even with the HDO Health, my vision is we maybe we just sell the product to a larger portfolio emergency medicine company. Um, and then we keep HDO Health as an innovation engine and a great partner with Ohio State that says, OK, what's next? What's another unmet clinical need in healthcare yeah. or whatever, taking what I've learned, what we've learned, making it faster, cheaper, easier to innovate, you know, get regulatory approval, those sorts of things. So even keeping HDO Health as an operating company that just continues to innovate. And we do have other indications yeah. and other ideas, even for this specialty tourniquet device, you know, for canine applications, other indications incorporating sensors, you name it. I mean, there's lots of ways to get fancy and add new features to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's a little venture studio play as yeah. well. That's, 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 that's really cool. Um, so I, I, I want to eventually get to commercialization, yeah. uh, and ask you about that, but, but you kind of bring up, you brought up the, the, the potential VC firm that supports veterans and other first, first responders. You know, we, we, we have a whole med tech money series of this podcast, um, where that's all we talk about is, is raising and investing capital and almost all of the investors we've ever had on the podcast will always say, yeah, look, the solution's great. It is what it is. We're investing in the team or the company and the problem. And so 
for you, you know, I, I know you were in the Marine Corps, but I'm yeah. curious on, you know, you, you want to help the veterans. I, I'm guessing based on conversations we've had. So we, we met uh, for, for the background yeah. here. Brian and I met uh, in early February at a Three Rivers Venture Fair in Pittsburgh. Um, and then we continued the conversation afterwards. And one of the things we got into uh, on our previous call was you know, the building of the team, the leadership principles of, of the people you're investing in. And I'm guessing that, you know, part of your thesis is sure you want to help the, the, you know, because you're in the Marine Corps, but also I'm guessing a little of that too, that makes it easier is that generally the people coming from those organizations have pretty good leadership principles, right? So is, is that kind of part of that thesis as well that you, you saw? I would say that's uh, the majority of it. I mean, certainly it's a desire to help, okay. you know, my little catchphrase is, you know, serving others who've served. That's part of it. But from my own experience in the military, having a lot of friends, colleague network that are military and former first responders, my goal is to try to expand that bubble to that whole group of people that, um, number one, made a conscious decision. I mean, there's no draft for the military or no draft to become a fireman or policeman or a paramedic. All those individuals who served in those roles deliberately chose to do something to serve others above self. So I think there's that intangible component to all those individuals. And then generally speaking, they're used to doing what they say they're going to do. Generally speaking, have high integrity. Generally speaking, you know, want to do good in the world. Um, and generally speaking, just are solid people that want to do the right thing. You know, I think those are winning formulas in life, much less as an entrepreneur. I just think sometimes those folks, you know, they don't, they don't know what they don't know, or they have an idea, but they don't know where to start and can leverage someone like me or whatever to say, well, Hey, here's how you get going. So anyway, that's, I think as much as anything, it's the intangible values and principles and the DNA that makes up those people as much as, wanting to help veterans you know i i i love that uh you know project medtech shares a very similar um um belief in terms of you know empowering entrepreneurs who maybe don't have the tool belt already you know built or the the like the toolbox um and and but think they have the intangibles to be a good entrepreneur so can we give them you know the team around them to support that um you know there's there's a lot to to be said for that uh you know we we come across a lot of first-time entrepreneurs um even second-time entrepreneurs that you know they they understand the value of that team around you um and uh, some of those first-time entrepreneurs are hungry, though, and and you want that. Um, and they just maybe just don't have the the experience to to be as successful as someone who's been around there. Yeah. On that note, I will say uh, another topic. One around the co-founding team. I'm, I feel I'm very fortunate that I sort of stumbled into a great co-founding team. As I mentioned, one of them is a professor at Ohio State. One is a a physician, emergency medicine doctor, critical care, who's also a a SWAT medic, yeah. and then the guy who's the um, Ohio State Highway Patrolman and on the SWAT team. But very fortunate in that we're all sort of united from like the very first time we all met around the mission and vision of like why we were all doing this. And granted, we would all love to have some financial impact, but that's not the primary motivation of anyone. So I would say, speak also to entrepreneurs, is like 
invest time and attention on your co-founding team. I wish I could say, well, man, I, I, I vetted all these individuals and I personally, it just, I feel I just got lucky and sort of fell into a great team of people that are aligned and we have similar vision and, and values. And, um, and also say we prepared in advance for conflict. I remember one of our first or second calls as a co-founding team, a zoom call, like, Hey, this is all great now, but we need to be prepared about how we are going to handle conflict if, and when it comes up, you know, even like, our operating agreement, how are we parsing out equity, those sorts of things. But even having the conversation, like, what are we going to do when we ultimately disagree about something? Um, and then ultimately, that's why we formed a, a fiduciary board and have an independent director. So we would have a disinterested third party who is just looking out for all the shareholders or stakeholders versus me wanting what I want. And anyway, I'm rambling now, but that's, uh, I think, is important for kind of think about it. I yeah. The other thing is advisory board. I and mean, we have a large advisory board for a pre-revenue startup. We have 20 members. That was very deliberate by design. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my encouragement to entrepreneurs is form an advisory board early. Get people that are passionate about your vision and what you're trying to do. They can help bolster the areas where you know you're, you maybe not have as much experience. Um, but again, that requires work. You got to do the work. You got to expand your network. You know, so I think it requires work, but in my opinion, it's well worth its exponential dividend on the effort you put in to form an advisory board. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love the the piece on the founding team, right? Um, we did that at, at at Project MedTech, right? It was like, look, we want people who can think strategically, but also people who balance each other out and bring different skill sets to the table. Yeah. And um, that's really important. And I think your piece on how you deal with conflict, right? Like to, to be naive and think you're never going to have conflict yeah. is insane. Um, right? Like that's just not going to happen. I mean, you're, you are spending a inordinate amount of time with these individuals, you're going to fight about little things and also big things and have disagreements on, you know, how you think the company should move and, and how you handle that super important. So I'm glad you yeah. brought that up because I think um, sometimes people assume it's like, you know, it's all, it's all roses. You're working with people you want to work with and it's like, Hey, you're still not going to get along. Right. Yeah. Like that's going to happen. Uh, and that's healthy and sure. that's okay. Um, so no, glad you brought that up. The one thing I do have to mention too, and <clears throat> it is as an Ohio state guy, it's going to hurt a little bit here, but um have you been up to the University of Michigan to see the Weill Institute? Uh, I have not seen that, but um, shout out to that state up north and other things. We it was actually <laughs> on a uh, a pitch event by a Michigan-based organization um, called Into Being. So shout out to Into Being, and you know, fortunate enough. To oh yeah, we know we know so Gene really well. Gene was Jean on one there, of his yeah. pitch parties, so uh, we actually got some funding from that. So, um, so I have not been to that, but certainly all kidding aside, I think great stuff yeah. is coming out as well. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, so. Yeah. The wild, the reason I bring this up is because your product would probably be a great fit for, um, what they're doing. And so wild institutes their critical yeah. care, uh, institution there. Um, but, uh, yeah, very cool. Wow. That's, that's uh, yeah. a small world. Um, yeah, so so Brian, with the time we have left, let's let's chat a little bit about um, commercialization, right? So um, we talk about this 
all the time with our startups on the podcast. Like I'm not going to belabor it, but uh, it's our opinion that commercialization is probably the hardest thing you're going to do um, with a med- medical technology product, right? I mean, getting through the FDA is hard, of course. Like all the different steps are hard, but where you make it or break it is whether you could sell it or not, yeah. right? Um, and and that's difficult, right? You're selling into a very complex conservative. Uh, industry. And so I'm curious from from your standpoint, maybe let's just do um, the the common pitfalls and the things that you think, like if you want to give one or two common pitfalls and then one or two things that, you know, you have to do this every time. This is a step that every company has to do um, or a tip that every company should take. For sure. I think... uh... Pitfalls, I think, as you mentioned early on, just as an entrepreneur or as a founder, I've experienced this even as the CEO of another privately held company, sort of falling in love with your idea and thinking just because you love it and it has may have all these other things associated with it that other people are going to exchange value, meaning they're going to give you money for your thing. That is a fallacy I think you have to avoid at all costs. So I think that also ties back to the value of an advisory board um, is people that will be honest and say, "Mm, don't think so. That's a good, sounds good in the boardroom or on a slide deck, but ain't nobody going to do that or they're not going to buy that or it doesn't work that way in real life. So I think that's one common pitfall. And some of that could be naivete uh, or in other cases, I think that's uh, hubris or arrogance or just like head in the sand, like, well, don't you know who I am? I'm Dr. So-and-so or PhD so-and-so, and I've done all this research. Like, well, no one really cares when it comes to writing a check. Anyway, so that's a long way to say. Don't fall in love right. with your idea. Uh, one thing I think everybody has to do in today's environment is just you have to build your brand. Um, so simple things, even if it's still in the idea phase, I would encourage folks to whatever platform you use, I mean, if you go to the HDO Health website right now, that's a DIY on the Zoho One platform. A shout out to Zoho that I built myself. So build your website that people can go to because that's the first thing people are going to do is look you up on LinkedIn. Go to your website and see, does this look like a real company? What are they saying about their product, their board, their new, you know, all that stuff. Um, and then today I was on another, right. in another community and was talking about, you know, building the funnel. So what I took away from that call was it's not too early even though we are an FDA regulated device and we can't market our device, we can begin building credibility about why our team is uniquely positioned to help solve this problem. And so if you look at our HDO Health LinkedIn, the last couple of weeks, we've been doing founder spotlights. We're gonna be spotlighting every single one of our advisory board members, trying to show, well, we've got credible experts in this community that we're collaborating with that help number one design the product or helping us position the product and ultimately are going to help us commercialize this product leveraging their networks and their expertise and saying hey if this guy or this gal is promoting this kind of like my analogy with wayne so i I call it planting seeds like if you're not planting seeds well in advance or like in military terms you know preparing the battlefield like you just don't show up and go all right well we're here well, no, you need to do your reconnaissance and prepare and have your ammunition. And, you know, what are you going to do when things go wrong? Because they're probably going to go wrong. Uh, or what do you, if the planes can't fly because it's cloudy or whatever. 
Um, so it's preparing the battlefield and kind of preparing your funnel even now for us. So that's going to be our focus concurrent with like getting the FDA clearance and waiting on our IP to be uh, getting freedom to operate there is building our brand, building the message. And the guy was on it. He actually said, it's like uh, the analogy is like the company Ferrari, you know, it's like Ferrari doesn't sell cars. Like buyers have to sell Ferrari on why they should be allowed to purchase one of their vehicles. Not saying our tourniquet is going to be a Ferrari, but it may, I actually wrote it down. My goal is to be the buyer versus the seller. I want, by the time our product yeah. hits the market, people to be saying, how do I get one of those? How do we get in line? Do we get ours first, et cetera? So that's a long way of saying, do the work again, preparing sort of the whole, and there's so many tools and platforms that make that really easy and relatively inexpensive to do that. If you're not doing that, I think you're kind of missing a fundamental early check in the box. Even to help validate your idea, yeah. the feedback you'll get may help you refine and shape your go-to-market, your customer value, all that stuff you can get by just being out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, so, Brian, in, in, in closing, is there anything else that you came in today that you were like, hey, I really wanted to touch on this and we haven't gotten to it yet um, that I have missed? Uh, there are probably a lot of things. I guess I would just remind folks that, uh, or encourage folks more than remind them for anyone that's listening to this, that's an entrepreneur, uh, would be, would be to remind them to don't do it alone. Uh, community is very, very, very important as an entrepreneur that there's a lot of glamor and a lot of, Oh, being an entrepreneur. And it's particularly now that valuations have come back to reasonable ranges and raising capital is like as hard as it probably should be than it was maybe in the past couple of years is uh, to just find your community, whatever that is. If it's a rev one, if it's your local coffee shop, your local accelerator, co-work organization, just don't do it alone. Um, whether you're the CEO or a founding member or whatever, it's just, that'd be my thing. One takeaway if people remember nothing else from this 44 minutes or whatever is don't do it alone. Find your community and in both uh, yeah. contribute to the community and be humble enough to receive. Yeah, I love that. Um, so, uh, you know what? And we and I just remind I'm going to text him right after this. We, we need to get Reggie Hodges on this podcast. Um, he spoke at our uh, so he's the former um, punter for the yeah. Cleveland Browns. Well, he, he played for like eight different teams, but he spoke at our um Columbus startup symposium at Rev One, uh, and and talked about letting people come on the journey yeah. with you, um, because it can get really lonely. And so I'm glad you brought this up because this is this is really good advice. Um, so so for those listening in, uh, you can find uh, Brian on uh, LinkedIn. I'll put a link to in the show notes. Uh, so depending on what platform you're lo you're listening to this on, up or down an inch, and you'll see a, a link to his LinkedIn. You'll also see a link to um, HDO Health. Um, and Brian is active on LinkedIn. Um, and so if you have any questions, reach out to him there. But but Brian, hang on for one minute. We'll chat offline. But thanks My so pleasure. much for doing Thank this. Thank you so much for doing, the, doing this for all the entrepreneurs out there. Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. If you need anything from the podcast, 
you can always contact us at info at projectmedtech.com. Thanks for listening and have a great day.